It's okay. <laughs> He's really intrigued. All right, you you can sit down. But that's what we do for each other. When when there's a need, we help each other. And even when the pastor's surrounded by a big Bubba teddy bear, but it's what we do. And this story this morning in Scripture is all about that. It's about friends helping someone who is in need. And I just thought maybe, wow, and you did it. You helped me. Shannon, thank you for helping me in my time of need. And now we're going to hear this story. And it's a very familiar story. Linda's going to read. But what this gives is an incredible strategy for how we help each other. And it is a story, again, that is so familiar until we unwrap it and see what's underneath this and how Jesus helps us overcome paralysis of any kind. See if you can see the strategy in the midst of that. The other thing I'm asking of you this morning is if you were to look at yourself and what role you play, see if you can identify with one of the roles in this story. And we'll, we'll go from there. Bubba just needs to lay down. There we go. Okay. Linda. Teddy bears are fun. Hey. Today's uh, scripture is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. And after getting into a boat, he crossed the sea and came to his own town. And just then, some people were carrying a paralyzed man lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Then some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Stand up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Stand up, take your bed, and go to your home. And he stood and went to his home. When the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to human beings. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. So last week we talked about storms, and if you recall... We talked about a variety of storms. I gave you three examples of storms that I know we've faced, and, and we talked about a multitude of storms that we all face or that you have faced as well. Storms are those things that come from the outside, and yet what we're dealing with this morning are oftentimes those things that affect us from the inside. What I want to do is give you six examples of the, some of the things that cause paralysis. And then we'll go on from there, but see if any one of these might be something you have dealt with. 
Or if not, please hold in your mind sometime in your life, sometime where you have just felt completely immobilized. Let me start with these. He sat stunned by the news, unable to move. His greatest fear had just engulfed him, and all he could do was stare at the one who had just said it to him. He had just lost his job. Now what? How can he share this with his wife, his children, any of his friends? He felt more alone than any time in his life. Second, she didn't know what to do with the criticism. It was strong and it was overt. She had always struggled with criticism. It made her feel powerless. She had no idea what to do next, how to process it, who to talk to, anywhere to go, no idea. So she just sat there and stared. Just sat there. Next. This is specific to Boy Scout Sunday. He was absolutely frozen in fear. The bear had just stepped from the bushes and was now staring at him. Then it stood on its hind legs. Then he saw the cubs. He knew he was going to die. His brain just seemed to stop working and he just stared, panicked, unable to do anything. Knowing he was about to die. Next. She heard the word but couldn't comprehend it. He had said, cancer. Her doctor had said, cancer. I have cancer, she thought. I have cancer. And she just kept repeating it over and over and over again. But there were no words. There were no questions. It was just being repeated over and over and over again. I have cancer. And it was as though her whole body just went numb. Next. He knew the decision was his, but what if he made the wrong decision? What if the outcomes weren't what he'd hoped they might be or what he had promised they might be? What if he'd made a mistake? What if he wasn't the right person for any of this? What if? What if and what if? It was like a vicious circle of self-doubt. The what ifs kept coming over and over and over again. Next, this was experienced by two dear friends of mine. The avalanche had just swept two of the tents away and all they could see were the fragments of nylon where their friends had been sleeping moments before. After the loudest roar they had ever heard, now it was absolutely deathly silent. There is nothing like snow silence. They were beyond stunned. They were in shock and they just stared, frozen in what had just happened. And finally, she knew it was wrong. She just needed a drink. She'd just gotten her one-year AA certificate. 
But the situation she was facing this time was just so overwhelming. She took the drink and then immediately knew she'd made a mistake. But now what? All the old voices came back. What a failure I am, she thought. And so she took another drink and then another and then another. And then ultimately she woke up and didn't know what to do. The guilt was overwhelming. The shame was all encompassing. Any of those ring true for you. It was interesting to hear as we met in small groups during first service and they were able to talk about specifically in those small groups what were the things that paralyzed them. So I want to ask you this morning, one of those or there are other things that paralyze you. Anything that just causes paralysis in you. That deer in headlights, that whatever it may be. Yeah, Jeff? Uh, yeah, what was the yeah, that, that will... Yeah, that will do it. Those kinds of things paralyze you. And I know seasonal depression paralyzes some. It is. I know it is. Other things. What paralyzes you? Anything? Yeah. I saw a picture of my great-granddaughter perched on a... They were up on top of Rattlesnake Ridge. And she was perched on a rock close to a sheer drop-off. And I, all I saw was a picture of her. Who's watching this little girl? <laughs> that will do it, won't it, Lou? You look at a child or a grandchild in, in an incredibly risky situation, and you know there's, I mean, it's a, there's nothing you can do. But it's, it's that moment of just panic. Because you don't see her, you see the cliff. And that's paralysis. Other things. Bob? When I was 12 years old, I uh, was a boy scout camp, and I couldn't swim. And the boat turned over, and I actually <coughs> And I had a near-death experience. Yeah. But that... I did learn to, to swim and some comfort with water. But the one thing that paralyzes me is the fear of drowning. Fear of drowning. Fear of drowning. Fear. And we could, we could just leave it at that other four-letter word that fear can absolutely paralyze us. Seeing a loved one in a situation where you know there's nothing you can do about it paralyzes us. I think for many of us, even things like self-doubt paralyze us. There are just innumerable things that do that in us. And I, I can't imagine there's anyone in this sanctuary this morning that hasn't at some time experienced some kind of that kind of emotional paralysis. But this is where this story comes in. And let me just retell the story with a little more detail. In first service, we had a picture on the screen that, that was somewhat inaccurate, but it, it, it gave us some example of, of what it was like on that day. And, and just to remind of, of just some of the things that Linda talked about was... Here was Jesus having gone through this incredible um, just mission kind of journey and had just come home. And there's a lot of scholarship around the fact that where he came in Capernaum was his own home, that he had come to his own home and was sitting there in his living room. But let me describe this living room to you. It's not like any of our living rooms. It's a large open space and on the edges, in other words, it's open to the sky 
And on the edges, about four feet around this opening, are interwoven branches that create shade no matter what time of day it is. And, you know, word had gotten out about Jesus. And, and so here he was at home and sitting there in his comfortable spot. But the, the, that whole room was basically filled with people. Some of the synagogue leaders were there and his disciples were probably there. And, and he was doing what he does. And he was just teaching and talking with them about, you know, some of the things that he'd seen and, and what he knew they needed to hear. And suddenly, I can just see this, is a small piece of bark begins to just float down from over his head. And then another one. And then a bunch of dust and bark falls. And what he sees, as everybody would, he looks up and what he sees are hands grabbing at those woven sticks and pulling them off of his roof, literally destroying his roof. And stick after stick after stick of being pulled away. And then after a six to eight foot opening is created in his roof, all of a sudden what you see is the bottom of this mat, this hardened mat, come over that edge into that open space and begin to move down. And attached to every corner of this mat is a piece of rope. And what's amazing is that as that mat is lowered, it's, it's, it's balanced the whole way down so that it doesn't tip one way or the other. And finally, it comes to rest. What the Scripture doesn't tell us is that once the mat comes to rest and you see what's on that mat, everybody scatters from that room because what is on that mat is a paralytic. One paralyzed. And you can't be in the same room as someone who is paralyzed because the paralyzed person, according to Old Testament law, has been punished by God and is therefore unclean. Normally where they're taken is out to the outskirts of the city onto the main road where they have basically a tin can placed at their head and they will say in a very quiet voice, alms, alms. And occasionally a coin will drop into that tin can. But as people drop, it's, it's like drop and run. And now here is this unclean outcast in Jesus' living room. And what do you do with that? And so the room scatters. But what Jesus does is, first of all, as they're dismantling his roof, he does not get angry. He recognizes what's going on. And he looks up and sees the hands of four people who are dismantling the roof and lowering this friend down. And then they come around the side, climb down, come around the side, and there they are in the room. And it's the four of them, the paralytic and Jesus, with everybody else on the outskirts. Jesus looks at this young man And like we've heard so often before, the first words out of his mouth are, my son. Now we take that differently than what they would have taken that. What Jesus is doing is like he did with the bleeding woman. He immediately adopts this young man into his own family. And therefore says he is now protected. He is a part of my family. And he recognizes immediately what's going on in this man. 
And what they believed, as I said, was that someone had sinned dramatically, but it probably wasn't this man. They believed in what's called generational sin. That someone five generations before him could have sinned so much that it would have caused, that God would have had this punishment go through the generations and cause this one to be paralyzed. That truly was a belief. And can you imagine having to carry that as a young man? That not only am I an outcast, but I'm an outcast from God as well as the community. But again, the first words out of his mouth were my son, my child. You are my family. And then he says, your sins are forgiven. And not only your sins, but if you truly believe that God caused this, I want you to know that that is gone. And you need to be released from that element of this paralysis. And he's already taught and is teaching that that's not what God does. Your sins are forgiven. Well, the synagogue authorities get a little antsy about that. And saying, who does this man think that he is? Only God can forgive sins. And his response is, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then he looks at them and he says, really? You really are concerned about the fact that what I'm saying is incorrect? Do you not see the need in this young man? Would it be better, in your opinion, if what I said was, get up, take up your mat, and go home? And so he says to the young man, get up, take up your mat, and go home. But the premise of all of this is he, as they are lowering him down, (coughs) he looks up and he sees the faith of these four friends. And because of their faith, (coughs) he takes this action. Paralysis. Gosh, there's so many things that cause it. And what happens? The man takes up his mat, takes that action, gets up. And can you imagine that trip home? with those four friends, the five of these folks, singing and dancing, hopping and jumping, teary-eyed in their joy as they head home. Then there's Matthew. And Matthew is Levi, the same Levi, the tax collector. And the reason these two are tied together is because Matthew has his own form of paralysis. A tax collector is the most hated, most despised, most disrespected person in Judaism because he is getting wealthy off the backs of his own people. He can charge whatever he wants for taxes. He has a little bit that he pays to Rome and a little bit that he could potentially pay to the temple authorities and he gets to keep everything else and they hate them. There is no stronger word. They hate them because of what they do. And what does Jesus do? He goes to him and he confronts him And he says, now, let go of that and come and follow me. And oh, by the way, as you do this, and Matthew gets up and follows him, and guess what he does? Jesus says, let's go to your home and do what those four or five did, and let's go celebrate the fact that you're making this change. And let me, why don't you introduce me to all your friends? And guess who's on the outskirts of that? But all those folks who were judgmental, who said, who in the world does he think he is? of going now and having dinner 
becoming unclean, basically, with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus' response is, I come with mercy, not judgment. Mercy, not judgment. And who else would need the kind of healing that I have to offer but these? Well, friends, here's the deal. As I said, there is every, every one of us has things that paralyze us. Every one of us. And I don't care if you're 10 or 99. There are still things that paralyze us. But what this story lets us know are a couple things. First of all, the importance of friendship. The importance of friends, no matter where they are, that will stand with you no matter what you're doing. No matter the mistakes you make, no matter how you see yourself, that there are friends around us that will carry us through anything in spite of what your reputation as a friend may be. They will carry us through anything. And my question to you, are you that kind of a friend? Who no matter what happens to the person with whom you are close, no matter what they do, no matter the mistake they make, no matter what, will you stand with them? Will you stand with them? And will you take some kind of action that allows them to move beyond whatever it is that's causing that paralysis. That's number one. Number two, we are a church. And as such, what we do is we believe in a power greater than ourselves. A power that can help us understand that people get paralyzed. And that we believe that if we even open ourselves up to this power, something will happen. There will be a transformation that allows us to do things that we would not otherwise be able to do. And what we do in the midst of that is we share that with others. Share this power. And by the way, the translation should say, Jesus self-identifies as being the Son of humanity, the Son of man. And you know what that means? It means he sees himself as one who comes to serve humanity. One who comes to serve humanity. A God that is seeking to not just be worshipped by us, but a God who seeks to serve us. Serve us. To provide us hope and encouragement and healing. A God of acceptance that just wants to be there to help but the deal is we have to open ourselves up to that. That paralytic had to say yes to those four friends. And those four friends had to say yes to placing this man before one who could heal him. And he did. And they did. And then Jesus did. But then there's the dark side of the story. And we see it often. Because on the outskirts of all of this are those who would stand in judgment. Those who would stand in judgment. And we can't have that kind of judgment. What Jesus has said over and over and over again, it is not about judgment, it is about mercy. It is about patience. It is about acceptance. It's about sharing our love and grace and God's love and grace. With others. It is to live that 1 Corinthians 13 love of patience and kindness and gentleness, bearing with one another, bearing with one another. That's what we seek to be. That's what this story is about. And that's what we are as a church.
And that's what we continue to get better at as a church. Finally, let me just say this. One of the hardest things that I have ever seen in any church where I've either attended or served is people willing to share their burdens with others. And by burdens, I don't mean illness. Sharing their struggles with each other. No matter what that struggle may be. And it's an unusual church that allows struggles to be shared. It is an unusual church that can do that. And I see pieces of it here. But let's let's do more of that. What it means is we have to trust each other to make sure that that mat that we're dealing with stays balanced. And sometimes it means Caitlin sitting on the floor right now playing with Isaac because there's no nursery care. Yeah. <laughs> with a nice giggle. And just understanding that this is a part of who we are. And it's not distracting at all. <laughs> no, it's great. But this is what we do, isn't it? Isaac is two years old and he's in church with us. And here's Caitlin playing with the truck. Please keep playing. It's okay. Oh, he's, he's busy. What are the needs that you have that we can carry? What are those needs? Friends, we don't need to carry paralysis alone. That's what all this is about. We don't ever need to carry paralysis alone. God is there to help us and look around you, hear the others who are willing to tie that rope on that mat and carry it with us and help us. So where do you see yourself in that story? As the friends, as the paralyzed one, as the Christ figure with authority, or as those who stand in judgment? Where do you see yourself in this story? And I think for many of us, we see pieces of ourselves in each one. But as we continue to work toward this, of being that community for each other. Let me close in prayer. God, we, man, we just struggle with paralysis, whether it's getting out of the driveway in snow, or whether it's snow itself, or whether it's so much deeper than that. Things like conflict, things like self-doubt, things like even judgment and power. We all deal with paralysis. And unlike the storms that come onto us, paralysis often comes from within us. I ask that you help each of us work together, work with each other to overcome whatever it may be so that we too can carry each other no matter the situation with love, with joy, with acceptance, and with encouragement. Help us be those voices of authority, but not authority as in bossy, but authority as in deep love. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.